0: Dear congregation. Our focus for this evening will be on the first five verses of chapter 2 of Philippians. This morning we saw, we looked at verses 6 through 8, and this evening we wish to look at verses 1 through 5. And as we saw this morning, the attitude, the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ was truly remarkable. How he endured the suffering, how he faced the opposition, how he faced the mocking and the ridicule, in, and he kept silent with, with such a willing heart to face what he came down to this earth to do, how he endured the suffering on the cross with the willing heart coming to save his people, how he looked upon Peter when he denied him, and he looked on him with compassion. How he persevered in, this, in his walk in this world, even when his disciples tired out and, and, and slept. How he prayed for those who were crucifying him and praying for his enemies. Christ displayed such a selfless and a self-sacrificing attitude. That was the mind and the attitude that Christ had for sinners like you and for me. And now Paul says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And just to recap what we covered in the last few weeks, as we looked at this chapter of Philippians, this morning we looked at the mind of Christ, how Christ emptied himself to take the place of his own creatures here on this earth, creatures who had rebelled against him, creatures who had broken the commandments, who had fallen under the curse, and he came to be born under the curse, to take that punishment for his people, to redeem them from their sins, to reconcile them to his Father. In the past weeks, we also saw how further in this chapter, Paul calls us to live in the midst of this crooked and perverse world as lights shining in the middle of it, lights in the midst of darkness, living as the children of God, in obedience to God, even as Christ showed us with his his obedience how he lived in this world. Last week we also considered how we are to examine ourselves in light of this passage, how we are called to be Blameless and harmless, character that cannot be condemned of doing anything wrong, and a heart that is willing to that that is pure and willing to follow God. And do we find these evidences of God's grace working in our hearts, causing us to will and to do of his good pleasure? And so tonight we want to look once more at this chapter. And then to encourage us together as we walk the walk of faith in this life. And Paul has, gives us this picture of the attitude that, that Christ has towards us. And then he says, let then this same mind be in you. Our attitude towards one another it must become like Christ's attitude towards us. And so our theme this evening is, is the mind of Christ in you. This morning it was the mind of Christ for you. This evening, the mind of Christ in you. And first of all, we'll see the motivation, motivated by Christ. We are motivated to have this mind of Christ, this attitude of Christ, by Christ's own attitude toward us. He says in verse 5 again, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And as we read this chapter, we can see how Paul gives us this this command, this exhortation, and yet he surrounds it with with all these motivations. He shows us Christ's attitude towards us and calls us to be like him. And one motivation that Paul shows is, the very example of Christ that we saw this morning, how how Christ lived in this world, how he came down from heaven, how he emptied himself of the glories and the riches of heaven, and he humbled himself, coming under that curse, placing himself in the place of his creatures, of his people, to be their substitute. And he walked in perfect obedience. And so we are called to follow that example, not to pay for sin as Christ did, but to have the same attitude to him and to his church as we walk in this world. But a second motivation that Paul shows us is the exaltation of Christ in verses 9 through 11, where he shows that after Christ's humiliation, he came his exaltation, how he, he was exalted and given the name above every name, the name to which every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. And what a comfort and what an encouragement this gives to you that even though now many of us can be in grievous trials, as Peter says, though we suffer as Christians or though we suffer in the various forms in this world, yet one day every believer will also be taken up to be where he is. We are called now to have the same attitude of Christ in this world, to endure and to persevere until we meet Him face to face, until this changing world will be passed. But then the third motivation that we see here, and which we'll focus on mainly this evening, is found in the first four verses, specifically verse 1, where Paul calls us to consider the gifts you receive from Christ. Paul, he begins outlining some of these gifts or the benefits that we receive in Christ. And so he says here, if, therefore, there is any consolation in Christ for you, if any comfort of love of Christ for you, if any experience of the fellowship of the Spirit of Christ in you, if, if, you, if you have tasted of the affection and the mercy of Christ towards you. And that's what he lays out first, and then he says, be like-minded, let this mind be in you. Be motivated with the same attitude toward others, to encourage them, to, to comfort them, to fellowship with them, and to show them mercy and affection. So let's look a little closer at these, these four benefits. If there is any consolation in Christ. Have you been encouraged by Christ, by His Word, or even this morning in the sacraments? Have you received that encouragement from Him? We read in verse 29 of chapter 1 where Paul says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. And that, that word granted there really means God generously, God graciously has given this to you. Not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His name's sake, And then to know that everything in our life, whether it is prosperity or, or trials, and struggles in the Christian life, it's there with a purpose. It's there with the generous and gracious gift of God. Is there then any consolation? Is there then any encouragement in Christ? But his word here literally means, has has the meaning of someone coming alongside of you in those struggles to encourage you. Christ is the one who comes alongside you with His Word, with His Spirit to encourage you when you are discouraged, to encourage you when when you find yourselves in these struggles and these trials. And He comes to you and He says, you are not your own, but you belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul also spoke of this in 2 Thessalonians 2, where he says, Christ loved us, and has given us an everlasting consolation, uses that same word there again, an everlasting encouragement and good hope by grace. And there he explains how, how God has chosen sinners to be saved, how He calls you with the gospel of Christ, and how He gives you His Holy Spirit, that encouragement that God gives you through His Word and that encouragement that you received this morning here uh, through the Lord's Supper, reminding you of what He has done, reminding you what His mind was as He did it, how, what His attitude was toward sinners, how He willingly endured, how He willingly went to the cross to die that shameful death so that He could redeem His people. But He also encourages you to hold fast to His Word, to continue daily in the faith to continue in every good work even though it can seem so impossible at times? Do you find the encouragement that Christ brings to you in His Word and by His Spirit knowing that He is always there with you? But then Paul says if there's any comfort of love, any comfort of love from Christ, have you then known that comfort as he encouraged you? You all know what it feels like when someone comes alongside of you when you're in troubles, when, when you're grieving, when, when there's trials in your life, and someone comes along and encourages you and strengthens you and helps you. What comfort have you received from Christ? When Christ comes and says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, Or when Christ shows at the Lord's Supper how He laid down His life for you, and how He shows how all your guilt and sins have been carried away with His sacrifice on the cross. What comfort you receive when Christ shows you that there's no reason in yourself, in you, but He saw it fit to come down to redeem you with His own blood. That despite who you were, despite where he found you in your life, that he set his love upon you to deliver you from your sin. That even while we were enemies of Christ, enemies of God, walking in our own ways in this world, the Bible says Christ died for the ungodly while we were yet sinners. Sinners. What comfort do you receive then from his word when you read it, when you read texts that, that, like Isaiah 40 that says, Comfort ye my people. Tell them their iniquity is pardoned. What comfort do you receive when he gives to your soul that peace with God that passes all understanding, to know that, that God is your Father, that you're accepted before him in his Son Jesus Christ, that you can know that you're the children of God. Or what comfort do you receive when in your trials the Lord says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or when he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for, they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What comfort does he let you taste when, when it seems like the world has the upper hand or when it seems like your own sins have the upper hand in your life and seem to overtake you, but Christ comes and said, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What comfort does Christ give you when you spend days without end with pain and suffering? And he says, all this pain will come to an end, and one day he will wipe away all tears. One day you'll have a glorified body, and you'll see him. Paul says, if there is any any comfort of love. And then he goes on and says, if any fellowship... Of the Spirit. Any fellowship. The Greek word koinonia is, is, you hear that once in a while, it means communion. That participation, that fellowship with the Lord and with each other, the body of Christ, the church. That close union, that unity, that peace, that, that mutual relationship that exists with like minded believers. What fellowship with the Spirit. He says you've been brought into that fellowship by His Holy Spirit. It's that Spirit of Christ that made you alive from the dead, that made you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that that took you out of the kingdom of darkness and of sin and translated you into the kingdom of of light, of His Son. It's this Spirit who took the things of Christ and revealed them unto you, showing you that Christ is a suitable Savior for you, for young and for old. This is the Spirit that comes and witnesses with your spirit that you are the children of God. He's the one who opens our understanding to, to understand the Word of God. This is the Spirit who makes us willing and able to do of His good pleasure. This is the Spirit of Christ that abides in us who prays for you when you do not know what to pray for anymore. When he says, even with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Spirit who unites you with Christ and with his people in one body and one faith. If you've tasted of that fellowship, even at the table of the Lord this morning, where there's that unity of the body of Christ, that peace with God in the Lord Jesus Christ if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, he says, have you tasted of the affection and the compassion of Christ for someone like yourself? Christ who had compassion for the crowds of people compassion for sinners. If you have known the love of God in Christ Jesus, That he came not to save the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. If that is true for you, Paul says if, and then he says then. If this is true for you, then, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. What is Paul looking for here when he is sitting in prison writing this letter to the Philippians? What will bring him joy when he is imprisoned for his faith? It is seeing believers becoming like Christ. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same attitude towards others as Christ has toward you. Because if you are Christ, then you have the Spirit of Christ in you. If you are Christ's, Then he is bringing every thought of yours into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 10 says. If you are Christ, you're being conformed, you're being molded to the image of Christ, to be like him. If you are Christ, then you have the mind of Christ being formed in you. And so he says then, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so Paul here, he encourages us, he exhorts us to become like Christ in our attitude. And that's what we see, secondly, exhorted to be like Christ. What naturally flows out of Christ's attitude for you, his work in you, is your attitude towards others. He says in verse 2, Fulfill my joy by being like Minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so our attitude toward others here is described in, in, in three ways. He exhorts us to be united with each other, to value one another, and to look out for one another. And these three all belong together. You can't, can't separate them, but they're all three aspects of the same mind, of the same attitude. Unity, value, and help. And these all flow out of that same spirit. They're all fruit of the same spirit. And you all have the same source in the same God. And so if then, if you have received these gifts of Christ, as he said in verse 1, if you see who Christ is for you, then as certainly as you have received it for yourself from him, you will also live it and give it. Your attitude will be displayed toward others in the way that Christ displays it towards you. And so let's consider these three descriptions. Unity first, unity with each other. There, there's a oneness. In verse 2, having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. And so Paul here is he's speaking of, of a unity, of a harmony, uh, of working together with one common goal in one common Savior because we receive everything from the same Spirit. What Paul seems to be doing here is he's, he's trying to position us all to be facing in the same direction. He's positioning us all in the same direction before he, he starts us off walking. And he's sp- speaking here specifically of, of a spiritual unity. Not necessarily a unity in every side matter, but there's a unity in, there's, there's a oneness in disposition, in love, in purpose, to be united and conform to the same image of Christ. And that's what Psalm 133 also speaks of when it says, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity, having the same love for the church, for the body of Christ, as Christ has for the church. This is the unity that Christ prays for in John 17, where he says that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, united by the same Spirit in spiritual unity, having the same love, he says. That love coming from as a fruit of the Spirit, flowing to one body, the church of Christ, John says in 1 John 4, verse 11, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We often love based on what we see, what we perceive. But Christ made no distinction where He found us and how He came down to us. But He set His love upon each one of His people regardless of who they were or where they were. And so every believer in Christ has received the same love of Christ, and we must all love one another with that same love. And then he says being of one accord. One accord really means to be one soul, united with that same character and that affection of mind. Because we're all called to become harmless, to become pure in our character, as verse 15 says. Christ-like in our character, and of one mind, in our thinking, in our attitude, in union and fellowship with Christ. And so Paul here is calling us to a spiritual harmony in our mind, in our character, and in our affections and our desires. Why? For what purpose? Well, the unity of the church is for the work is for the working together for the welfare of the church, the church throughout all the world. It is for the it is for the purpose of bringing every member to become like Christ, that everyone may have Christ formed in them, and that is every one of your goals as well. The same goal and same purpose is to be made like. Christ. And so our desires, our minds, our affections, our character should all align for the benefit of the whole congregation, specifically the congregation that we are a part of, for our children, for our adults, and for everyone, so that everyone may grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be made like Him. Unity. But then, Secondly, to valuing each other. Verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that each esteem others better than himself. So there can be no unity if we do not value each other for who we are. Paul calls us to lowliness and to humility, and he says, Let nothing be done is through selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition is that that drive for a personal success. We want to be right. We want to have it our way. And if there's selfish ambition, then there's a rivalry, there's a hostility that results in a striving. There's no unity, there's no working together but against each other. And that goes together here with conceit, with pride, with, with being vain, placing ourselves above other people, thinking we are better than someone else. And then there's no unity. Then there's no common working together. But he says, but in lowliness of mind, in humility. In the world and even in our own hearts, we consider lowliness, meekness, and humility as weakness. It seems that in this world you don't advance if you don't push your way through. But we need the right assessment of ourselves, of who we really are, in the sight of God and of His law. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you have not received from Christ? And if we have received it as a gift from God, then why do we use it to boast? So we need to see and recognize that there is nothing in ourselves There's nothing in anyone that made God choose us over someone else. There's no gift or grace that we have that we have not received from God. And that makes us all level with others in Christ. Because there's nothing of ourselves. Does Christ encourage us and comfort us by showing his undeserved mercy towards us in all that he has given us? does not not humble us to recognize what he has enabled us to be and to do, and that not for ourselves, but for the benefit of the body of Christ. And so Paul says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That means we have to consider others of greater value than ourselves. We must value each other highly, Recognizing both spiritually and physically, everything that we have has been given by God. And who are we that God would give such gifts to us? And for what purpose does He give it? He gives it for the benefit of His body, the church. Well, this doesn't doesn't mean that we must consider everything that other people do as good because we we must hold them accountable if others stray into sin or live in unrepentant sin. But we must value and esteem them as, as, as believers, fellow believers, redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the same Savior, having the same Spirit, having the same grace. And if Christ loved them so much, that he came to this world to lay down his life for them, to shed his blood to save them as well as you. Shall we not also love them with the same love that Christ had for them? To love them with the same mind, to value them as Christ values them, to encourage them as Christ encourages them. Paul had to learn this himself. He had to grow in the grace of humility, because he grew up as a proud Pharisee. But Philippians 3, verse 8 says he learned to count it all as rubbish, as dung. He used to persecute the church in his own conceit and pride. He esteemed himself better than others to the point that he deemed them unworthy to live and he deemed himself worthy enough to kill them, to put them to death. They had no value in his eyes. But then Paul began to know himself. The Lord showed him his sins and he began to realize that he was the least of the apostles, 1 Corinthians 15 says. Ephesians 3 says he calls himself the least of the saints. And after he's imprisoned in Rome, he called himself the chief of sinners. And he was greatly used by God. God says, humble yourself, and he will lift you up. And here Paul writes of Christ, the ultimate example of the one who humbled himself. Though he was God himself, though he was equal with God, the the second person of the Trinity, without sin, came down from heaven not to serve his own ends. He came to teach, but not to boast of his knowledge, without pride. He didn't come to promote himself or place himself above others but he came to serve. Everything that he did was for the welfare, for the salvation of his people and for his church. He laid down his own ambitions. He emptied himself of his own for the welfare of his church. And then the third one, Paul says, this means that we are to look out for each other. Let each of you, verse 4, let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Helping one another, helping each other in each other's interests. For example, if you go on a road trip together, and you're all, you're all heading to one destination, and if one of, your, one of the vehicles breaks down, the rest of the friends will stop to help each other out. Because they're all going in the same direction, they're all traveling together, and they all have one common destination in mind. You want to get there together. And so you can think of that similarly, we are all traveling the same pathway to eternity. Every one of us is traveling the road to eternity. And we must all have the mind of Christ, and that we must all walk together on this journey. must all have the same desires, seeking to have the same character in Christ, the same affections. We are to walk as equals, valuing each other more than ourselves. And so we help each other along the way. If one falls into sin, we are to pull each other out. If one stumbles, we are to help them. If one needs comforting, we need to comfort them. We are to pray for one another, for the sick and for the weak. We're to build each other up in the faith. And this is increasingly important in our day today, where we're seeing such an increase in the divisions even inside the church, and with the increased opposition against the church. Christians need to look out for one another, to know that we're walking the path together, to, to help each other along in this world where we will face great trials. There's many practical ways that you already do, that you know you can help one another, both physically and spiritually. Visiting the sick or calling the lonely, encouraging the downcast or helping new mothers, coming alongside one another, helping both physically and spiritually, especially spiritually, to encourage one another in the mind of Christ, and that, we, that we carry each other along Galatians 6 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. We we should ask ourselves, how does Christ think about that person, that person who I cannot see eye to eye with, that Christian How much must Christ have loved that person to save them? And to what pains and what humility and what suffering has Christ gone to to pull them out of their sin and to bring them even to where they are now and to save them from the burning fires of hell? Are we motivated by that same love of Christ to be the hands and feet of Christ in this world to help them? We're all on the same path. And though the Lord may have given us different graces and different gifts, and we may be on different maturities of faith, one day we'll all have to stand before the same judge of heaven and earth. But as Paul says here, fulfill his joy, we should say fulfill each other's joy. Because this should be our common joy to seek the best spiritual interest of each other, that we may all arrive at the same place. And as we walk together, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Call one another. Visit one another. If you are struggling, don't hesitate to call a brother or sister. But reach out to somebody. We are to be there for one another. If you see someone hurting, go to them. Take them to the Lord Jesus Christ through his word. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let us walk together. Let us hold one another up, for we will face difficulties and trials in our life. But Christ is our comfort. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any any encouragement, if there is any comfort of love to be found with Him, if any fellowship of the Spirit that unites His people, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love.